Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Well, hello there. Welcome to another brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! We're back at it again this week to talk about some more geeky goodness going on in the world of entertainment. Uh, and we're going to have some fun talking about all of that and getting into our tribute to Richard Donner, who sadly passed away a few days ago at the age of 91. Although 91, I feel like you've crossed the finish line. You're all right when you get to 91, to be honest with you. But we're definitely going to do our Geek Buddies tribute to him as our main topic. And speaking of main topic, that's how this show works. Each of us presents a geek news item. We take a little bit of a break, and then we talk about our main topic. But before we do that, we should introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw, John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Outlaw Nation. The gentleman to my, to in the middle there. I am Michael Vogel, writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And on the end. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Silicon Valley, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Teen Wolf. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one person makes a comment and it's been my, you know... <laughs> One time I visited a prostitute in the war. My life's been a living hell ever since. Michael, you're back from vacation. How are you feeling? How was it out there on the coast? Uh, I'm feeling well. I'm feeling rested. It was lovely. Um, I, uh, I listened to last week's episode. It was also lovely. Um, I, uh, I, feel, I feel bad for you guys. You know, I'm living, I'm living my West Hollywood fantastical life where everybody yeah. is just... Uh, Dancing around and tipping their hats, as Kalinowski said, but uh, I like it better than Kalinowski's life. He's a he's a, he's an angry little he's an angry little elf apparently. Doesn't like uh, doesn't like much of anything apparently, according to last week's episode. Staying up till staying up till five a.m. yelling at thirteen year olds on Call of Duty. But hey, we all choose to live our lives as we see fit, and if it brings him joy, and I feel it does at some level, or else he wouldn't be doing it the way he does. But it's always great Ooh. to have Kalinowski on the show. It's fun to have a different perspective on the show for sure. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, you know, I'll grill you later for some uh, Umbrella Academy season three 
uh, spoiler stuff. <laughs> I, need, I need to know. Anyway, just a little thing. All right, let's get into it here. As we said, each of us try, talks about a news topic, and then we jump into our main topic. I think, Shannon, you're starting us off today, right? I am with trailers, trailers, trailers. Mm. It's another week with three new trailers, three very different projects. One we've talked about many Many, many times. (laughs) And hopefully by December of this year, we will finally get to see Matthew Vaughn's The King's Man. This is the prequel to his Kingsman series. Originally, this was supposed to come out in 2019. I think originally it was like a spring or a summer release. And then it got bumped to September, which generally that's not the best sign for a film. Then it got bumped again, and then pandemic happened, and now it's finally finally coming out. I think it's December twenty first, and that's that's you know that's no slouch of a release date. That's that's a release date that you think the studio actually has some has you know has some guts behind it. So we get to see this is not called a trailer. This is called a first look because we've seen. A lot of trailers at this point, but <laughs> interspersed with footage from the film, we get interviews with uh, or quick little snippets of interviews with with Matthew Vaughn, with stars, Ray Fiennes, Jim Arteran, Jaiman Hansu. Um, the footage of all this, it always looks so good. Um, I was a big fan of that first Kingsman film. Um, not as much of the second one. There were definitely parts that I liked, but I feel like they kind of just went... Um, in true Loki fashion, they just went a little too far with it, in my opinion. But gentlemen, what did you think of <laughs> the first look, really the seventh look of the Kingsman? <laughs> Mike? Uh, well, I think they clearly are trying to do, if you remember, uh, you know, Black Widow, which you know, now finally on the week of finally getting to see it, went through a similar thing where we trailers it got delayed it got pushed and there was a lot of conversation around do we still care and then they released that great awesome kind of final trailer that kind of tied it back to her story in civil war and Endgame and everything else and oh i'm super into black widow now and it feels like they were trying to do the same thing here by tying it back to the other movies i don't know if they were ultimately as successful as black widow i didn't come away super jazzed and excited for this one i feel like the ship may have left the station and is out to sea and is just floating around out there and nobody's that interested, but we'll see. I mean, it. to Shannon's point, I do love the first movie. I don't love the second one. I'm definitely, I will definitely go see this based on the fact that it is the Matthew Vaughn uh, Kingsman trilogy movie, but uh, I, I don't know that the, hey, this is just like the other movies. It's got the same style. This is what you've come to the movies to see. I don't know if it's going to work as well as it did with the Black Widow trailer. That's a great point you bring up because you look at uh, Matthew Vaughn and his, I mean, he's, he hasn't directed that many films. People like Layer Cake. People are people do like Stardust, but not 100% mm-hmm. like Stardust. People love Kick-Ass. People didn't like the sequel, even though they didn't direct the sequel. X-Men First Class, not one of my favorites, but I know a lot of people do like it. And then you look at these Kingsman films, and that's all he did. He stopped at Golden Circle in 2017 as a director until he did this one. So he is mining this well. He's also got a TV series about based on the Kingsman thing. So this clearly is his franchise. Now the X-Men has gone to Disney. Uh, Vaughn is here with this stuff, trying to make it happen. And I liked the first look. I certainly enjoyed it. I, I love period piece action adventure movies. I dig some of the crafty ways uh, they can do the anachronism, uh, uh, anachronistic moments rather in those films. And I enjoy that. And it's great to see Gemma Arterton, who I always think 
has never gotten a fair shake as an actress in some of these films that she's been in for whatever reason. I think she's a good actress. Love to see Jamin Hansu, the ageless wonder that is Jamin Hansu. <laughs> uh, and Ray Fiennes, who is competing with him as an ageless wonder. I mean, The English Patient was 25 years ago, and here he is doing an action-adventure film. Uh, we do see some of the Wonder Woman stuff. You know, somebody going through a, win uh, through a door from the side. Looks very reminiscent of that. We have the little comments. You know, I like the, sh the scene of uh, Jamin Hansu on the rope. It's shot, and he shoots up. So it's some inventive moments for sure. But yes, a little concern, a little worry that they're working this hard to get people to remember, hey, the first one was really good. And then occasional quick second shots of the second film, but not too long because we want you to remember the first one was really good. So I am excited for it. I want it to be good. Moving it into December, maybe the constant moving of it, allow them to go back in and re-edit, 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 or maybe do some pickup shots that now they feel they've got a way better movie than the one that was originally going to come out. That's my hope. But um, we shall see. <laughs> Seventh look, Shannon, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> we maybe will see December of this year. <laughs> there's Our a next... variant out there. You never know. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, there, there's an alternate timeline where they are on the Kingsman 3. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> Not the third chapter of the, 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 the third chapter of the prequel series. Yeah, true. <laughs> So our next trailer is, uh, so we don't always do a ton of them. Um, this is not the geekiest property, but this is certainly a series that I know myself and Vogel are a fan of. I, I don't know if Roko, I don't know if we've really talked about this. Now I haven't dived into this one, but go ahead. Yeah. I mean, shot, like, I think once you do, you will love it. But it, we got the teaser for uh, the third season of Succession on HBO. So this is from... Adam McKay, Will Ferrell, like you hear those names right off the bat and like, oh, it must be a hilarious comedy. And there are definitely very, very funny moments in this series, but it's also very, very serious. It's basically um, Arrested Development, the drama. I mean, it is this family of people who are just kind of not the best folks. And it is truly, truly watchable, like some really great performances. Jeremy Strong is the is sort of the the he's not the eldest son, but he's the he's the heir apparent. Um, Brian Cox plays the, the head of the family. We have Alan Ruck in there, Sarah Snook. Uh, I mean, it's uh, Kieran Culkin. I mean, it's a really, really good cast. And we won't go into spoilers here because obviously John hasn't watched it. And I don't know how many of our audience watches this show. But by the end of season two, um, there's a, it ends on a pretty big cliffhanger. And this teaser for season three, we're, we're getting some some hint about where uh, where the story is headed. So I know, John, did you did you even watch the teaser? Uh, yes, I did. But I mean, I, I was lost yeah. through most no of context. it. No so. context. Yeah, no context <laughs> at all. I will say this. I interviewed Brian Cox early on as I when I became the Outlaw Nation outlet. I was very fortunate to have him on. And he spoke for a few minutes about season three because it's been in the can for a bit. Like they've been, they or not, but they, they've been waiting to shoot it. Sorry, they were waiting to shoot it at the time. And he spoke about the scripts and how much People are going to lose their minds about what's going to happen in season three. Uh, so that's the extent of my connection to that. So, boys, please, as people who've watched it, take it away. Mikey? Everybody should, everybody should go watch Succession. <laughs> go okay. do it. Uh, no, it's it, look, Succession is great. I, Johnny, you'll love it. It, it, it it's, a it's a fucked up group of people. Mm. Uh, but it is Shakespearean in the level of drama that happens. Uh, mm. it, is, it is watching these, 
it's sort of on that Macbeth level of watching these larger-than-life characters make horrible decisions and just watching everything fall apart around them. And just there is a joy in watching uh, just the insanity that ensues at this level of success, at this level in the height of life. And Brian Cox mm. uh, just is the best thing in the world to watch. I mean, we talk a lot about actors uh, uh, who reach a point in their career where they're not even struggling anymore. They've like they've reached that plateau where you can tell they're like they're comfortable where they're at in life. They're yeah. comfortable with their talent level, and now they're just having a fucking blast. And you know, like Bill Murray, uh, some other actors like that. And and Brian Cox has definitely attained that level with this show. Like he mm. owns this role in a way that just makes him as much as you despise him, you can't take your eyes off of him. Uh, and as Shannon said, he's just one of the many amazing actors. It's hard It's hard to talk about the trailer without going into spoilers, but Shannon is right that, like, I actually watched the first couple of episodes of Succession and kind of was like, oh, that's cool. I kind of get it. I'll watch this eventually, and then stopped. And it wasn't until my brother binged it that I went back to it, rewatched the episodes I watched, and just kept going. And I think I watched two seasons in, like, a weekend. Like, I just wow. couldn't stop watching it. I think I canceled plans. I was like, oh, I'm busy. Uh, and then and then you get to the end of season two, and I just screamed. Like, you know, especially after binging it, you get, you're like, that's the end? Like, what? I've got to wait? And so knowing what's coming, uh, I, I really can't wait to watch it. And, yeah, Shannon's right. This isn't usually the geekiest. This isn't the geekiest of shows. Uh, it's definitely a candy. Yeah, I think the Venn diagram <laughs> does cross over with our fans for succession for sure, who enjoy uh, that. I, speaking of, I felt that way at the end of Lupin season one. What? That's it? So now I'm going to I'm going into Lupin <laughs> season two going, I better get some resolutions here. Uh, but Shannon, it's, uh, what it's you- sorry, it's it's King Lear if Lear were as just as wicked as two of his daughters. I mean, it is, <laughs> okay. I mean, this, like, really, John, like, I think you sit down to watch this and you are going to blaze through it. I imagine okay. Vogel and I will be getting texts <laughs> um, episode to episode, we'll be getting updates. I watched the first episode. I'll tell you that the, with with the the lady outlaw, and she was out uh, thirty minutes into it. So she's like, <laughs> I, she goes, I could give two shits about a bunch of rich people eating each other up. Could care less. But I I was into it because I thought there's some unique, interesting characters here. So I, I'll absolutely give it two or three more episodes to see if I and maybe like you, Michael, like you you were like, oh, this is cool. I'll come around to it. So maybe it'll be time to come around to it now. Uh, now that I finished seven seasons of Bosch, I have time to watch two seasons of Succession. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is going to be coming out this fall on HBO. And speaking of properties that are not exactly the geekiest, but uh, a documentary for the new oh. Val Kilmer document or Val, uh, Val Kilmer do- trailer for the Val Kilmer documentary uh, just came out, and yeah, I mean take Val two. Kilmer. Let's take that again. No show. <laughs> <laughs> Ahead, Are you going to edit it? No, no. Go ahead. <laughs> not now. Weird... Not now. We're not. There, Keep no, going. There will, there will be a there will be a weird cut, and we can blame Vogel's internet. <laughs> it's a black screen. Vogel's internet. <laughs> the trailer for the yeah. Val Kilmer documentary was just released. Uh, it's going to be uh, be premiering at Cannes this year, and then it's going to be on um, Amazon Prime. I believe the first week of August. Um, so. What you get from this trailer is that Val Kilmer, he says he was one of his first friends to have uh, a camcorder, a video camera. And he documented just years and years of his life. And despite 
the documentary maybe not being the geekiest. I mean, Val Kilmer has uh, been a part of some some huge some huge moments in cinematic history. I mean, yeah. you know, the least of which you would have to say, I don't God, I don't even, like Top Gun. I mean, you know, yeah. that that will go down in history, like <laughs> biting in in front of another man's face uh, as an intimidation tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really, really interesting, really interesting looking film, and um, probably going to be. Uh, heartbreaking as well so i will hand it over to you guys what did you think of this uh first look at this documentary i, I mean val kilmer has been a part of my life since i was a te- an early teenager you know top secret real genius and then you roll into top gun which is a seminal it is maybe the number one seminal 80s moment of my of my life you know that movie i always go back to it i just last year had that top gun themed birthday party with uh with that my girlfriend set up all you know, tour rather. And so it matters to me with Kilmer and Kilmer. I've always haven't had an affinity for. Yes. I heard he was a bad boy. Yes. I heard he's an a-hole offset, but you watch what he's been able to do with tombstone, even though it may not be my favorite movie. He's fantastic in it. Batman, when he took over for bat uh, for, uh, for uh, Michael Keaton there, then going into heat, then going into the doors, which is a film he, he should have won an Oscar for, for his acting. And then, of course, you've got the legendary Island of Dr. Moreau, which would have sank most everybody else uh, and, and almost sank Kilmer 100%. But then you hear about the cancer and you see the pictures of him and you've seen some of the videos and some of the interviews and you see that in this in this uh, trailer. It is heartbreaking and it's very reminiscent of the soleil moon fry documentary it's on hulu now mid mm. i think it's called mid or something like that kid 90 kid 90 that's a kid 90 where she had a video camera and you see all these young actors at their beginning stages of becoming famous and what she was able to capture the footage you see throughout this trailer it is it is incredible shocking a young kevin bacon a young sean penn I'm looking forward to this very, very much. And uh, uh, I imagine I'm going to go through a lot of emotions watching this because uh, I, I teared up certainly hearing him speak through his voice box, which was just terrible to see. But yeah, Mike, what did you think? Yeah, I echo, I echo what Johnny said. I mean, he's, he's such a part of our childhood. And yeah. uh, I think this is going to be really nice because I do think there is this, he was a big part of our childhood and then he went through some tougher times and yep had some not great roles and it kind of felt like he kind of fell off the radar and he did have that image for being a bad boy. And I do feel like this documentary will sort of tell the truth about some of the bad parts, Mm. but in telling that truth and putting it all out there and contextualizing it kind of come out at the other end and make us really respect the journey that he's gone on. Like, that's what I Mm -hmm. took away from that. I think that there's parts that I think his younger, like seeing him act as a younger kid, that he's captured that on footage, I think is going to be really powerful to watch. I think seeing him older dealing with the throat cancer is going to be really sad. And I think that being able to see all of that put together, I think that, you know, we sort of, we love to look at the best part of somebody's lives. And then we kind of like, when things go bad, we're like, oh God, they went down a bad road. You kind of forget about them. But I think seeing it all put together like this Hmm. uh, is going to be really powerful. And I think make us feel better about the Val Kilmer that we love coming out at the Hmm. other end of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Uh, yeah. What do you think, Shane? Did you like it? Yeah, it I mean, it, it, yeah, it's going to be emotional. It's yeah. going to be emotional. I mean, he is one of those guys that you heard kind of, you know, in the in, later in the '80s and the '90s that he was difficult on set. He, uh, a guy that I used to work with at Universal, actually was one of the stuntmen on Batman Forever, oh. and he has terrific stories <laughs> <laughs> about Val Kilmer negotiating with Joel Schumacher. 
for oh. sure things on set. I mean, really, really funny stories um, that I'd be like, yeah, as a director, I could see why you would want to switch to George Clooney after that. <laughs> um, but anytime, like, especially uh, like in the early 2000s, um, he, he pops up in these roles mm. and because of that reputation that he had, you forget that this is a really, really talented guy. Um, and I think when someone, when a performer can get a little older and kind of get over, get over themselves a bit, that you get some truly fantastic work. I mean, I'm thinking of like him, him and Robert Downey Jr. and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, that, great point. That, the the yes. pairing of those two, um, you know, you wish we would have seen more of that. I mean, he popped up in one, I think it was, it was one of the Denzel Washington, Tony Scott movies where mm-hmm. Denzel Washington can kind of like see in the future Deja or in the past. Deja that's vu. what it, yes. Yes. That is a supporting role. And Val Kilmer brought so much depth to that. I mean, he was such an interesting person to watch on screen. And then you hear all these stories about when he did, did his tour as, uh, as Mark Twain. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to the documentary because I did not get to see that Mark Twain show. I imagine we're going to see a, a decent amount from it. So I'm certainly looking forward to it. And yes, it's it will be out on Amazon Prime August 6th. Yeah, there you go. Eight theaters, I think July 23rd or July 26th, something like that. So it'll be out there for people to watch as well. Um, all right, so uh, where are we on to next? Uh, is it me or you, Mikey? I, I don't remember, so you pick. <laughs> All right, well, let's go. Zack Snyder, speaking of someone who can be, who's been, who's not difficult on set, Zack Snyder, uh, he has announced his new film. It's going to be coming out here. It's called Rebel Moon at Netflix. We're getting this from the Hollywood Reporter. He is going from zombie apocalypses in ancient Greece to nightmares and metropolis, and now he's going into far away galaxies. Uh, Rebel Moon, he is co-writing the script with Army of the Dead co- co-screenwriter Shea Hatton and Kurt Jonstad, or Jonstad, I hope I'm saying that right, who wrote 300, which is one of my favorite films. He'll be producing this with his wife, Deborah Snyder. The story is set in motion when a peaceful colony on the edge of the galaxy is threatened by the armies of a tyrannical regent named Balisarius. Desperate people dispatch a young woman with a mysterious past to seek out warriors from neighboring planets to help them make a stand. Uh, and Snyder, in an interview with Hollywood Reporter, said, this is me growing up as a Kurosawa fan and a Star Wars fan. Okay, uh, it's my love of sci-fi and a giant adventure. My hope is that this is also becomes a massive IP and a universe that can be built out. This feels like he stole from Kurosawa and stole from Star Wars, but hey, uh, Star Wars stole from Kurosawa. So I mean, it's all kind of it all kind of eats itself at some point here in this situation. But gentlemen, uh, does this make you nervous? Does this make you excited? Because he also released the first pictures of a prequel to Army of the Dead, Thieves of the Dead. I think he's, that's what it's called. I saw this. So he's he's got a lot of stuff going on here with Netflix. When you hear the the uh, the the synopsis of this story, Mike and Shannon, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, it's it's intergalactic seven samurai. I yeah, mean, basically, that, that is one hundred percent what it is, yeah. and and that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, look, right. I watched Army of the Dead, and I think it would probably would have been a better experience on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it, it did have a limited run, um, and it was fine. Like it was fun. It's it's the type of movie that as soon as I finished with it. There were a couple of big storytelling things, and I was like, "This is a this is a real problem." <laughs> but it's also like, "Hey, you know, you 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 entertain me for two hours and twenty minutes. I more than likely will never go back and watch this again." Mm-hmm. Um, but some of those sequences were a blast. I mean, it was uh, my girlfriend and I watched it. We had we had a lot of fun. Okay. So I imagine him in space doing his take on on what uh, Star Wars would have been i mean i i think it will probably be a lot of fun and i will immediately forget about it afterwards (laughs) okay mike (laughs) 
The only thing I could think the whole time was, how is he going to have slow motion flying through the rain in space? It doesn't rain in space. It rains comets. It rains yeah, okay. asteroids. Okay, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, I... Oh, point to Johnny. <laughs> Thank you. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. If we don't see a rainfall of comets in space, uh, it's fine. I, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm kind of with Shannon. Like, uh, you know, uh, Army of the Dead was fine. Like, it was fun. We had a, bl- I had a blast watching it here. Huh? It was a good time. He shoots a great movie. Uh, I don't go to his movies to see the most subtle of points being made. Like, I don't, I don't think we're going to get into any kind of bigger discussion about anything, but I think some people are going to fight and shoot in space and it'll look pretty. So points to you. If that's like what you love, go for it. (laughs) It is called a meteor shower. Hey, okay. 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 I get it. (laughs) Good ding, good ding, good ding, good ding. Uh, anyway, um, and yeah, I, uh, Zack Snyder posted on his uh, social media, Meet the Army of Thieves. This is his prequel to Army of the Dead. That's out there as well. Uh, it's he's it's an action-packed prequel to Army of the Dead directed by and starring Matthias Schweighofer, who, of course, is in Army of the uh, Army of the Dead. So he released a few photos of it. So this is fascinating that he's going to turn he's, he's turning everything into IP as he tries to kind of establish himself there at Netflix. And, you know, that's a place where a lot of creators are. Right. Ryan Murphy has his uh, his tent set up there. I think Shonda Rhimes is going to have her tent set up there. And so a lot mm-hmm. of people going over to Netflix to kind of establish their kind of certainly uh, Ryan Johnson with the Knives Out series, those two films being shot uh, there for Netflix. So, you know, he's got a lot of space to roam here. Let us see what he can create. But I've seen so many versions of the Seven Samurai. I'm like, what are you going to do that's new and inventive? I know he's a great, in terms of, he's a great visual filmmaker. What are you going to bring to this story that's going to make it unique? Because a fantastic intergalactic uh, um, uh, samurai uh, seven samurai is called Samurai Seven. If you haven't seen that anime, uh, it is phenomenal. And shout out to our schoolmate Colleen Clinkenbeard, who's one of the main voices on that anime. If you haven't seen that, that's a phenomenal outer space Samurai Seven uh, or Seven Samurai to watch. So I don't know what he's going to bring that's new here, but you know, I create space for everything Zack Snyder does because I most often like it. So. Um, okay, Mikey, what do you got to tell us? Well, uh, with Black Widow coming out this week and Loki kind of like tearing it up on Disney Plus, uh, obviously Marvel, as is usually the case, is at the top of everyone's mind. Uh, some for good and some for bad. <laughs> um, so, uh, not that this is big news, but uh, actor Steven Dorff uh, this week uh, thinks, I mean, not new news necessarily. Everyone's been talking about it. Um, but uh, actor Steven Dorff, in talking to The Independent, uh, had a lot of opinions about Marvel movies. Uh, he says he, uh, he's embarrassed for Scarlett Johansson and he would never be in a Marvel movie aside from Blade, which he was in back in 1998. Uh, aside from the Marvel movie that he already did. But he wasn't. So (laughs) I still, uh, his his quote was, uh, I still hunt out the good shit because I don't want to be in Black Widow. It looks like garbage to me. It looks like a bad video game. I'm embarrassed for those people. I'm embarrassed for Scarlett. I'm sure she got paid five, seven million bucks, but I'm embarrassed for her. I don't want to be in those movies. I really don't. I'll find that kid director that's going to be the next Kubrick, and I'll act for him instead. Now, as you can imagine, this sort of (laughs) blew up on the internet with lots of people posting a lot of the movie choices that Steven Dorff has made and questioning his taste because they weren't directed by the next Kubrick. Um, so before we talk about that, 
on the one side. So on one side you have, it's tip, this is the typical sort of Scorsese saying, these aren't real movies, these are roller coasters. Steven Dorff saying, I don't want to be in these big budget CG, this isn't a real movie. Now on the other hand, uh, you know, as we've discussed, Loki uh, in the series Loki on Disney Plus uh, has sort of been outed as being uh, pansexual, fluid, bi, depending on where you go with that. But uh, Daily Variety caught up with Victoria Alonso, who is Marvel Studios' executive vice president of film production, um, at the fan premiere for Black Widow at Hollywood, and kind of asked about this thing. Is this a one-off with Loki? Is there more to come with sort of uh, queer characters? And, you know, they said, uh, and Alonzo said that we empower those that are, we're not changing anything from the comics. We're just showing the world who these people are, who these characters are. There's a lot of that that we have coming up that I think will be very representative of the world we live in today. We're not going to nail it in the first movie or the second movie or the third movie uh, or the first show or second show, but we'll do our best to consistently try to represent. And also said that the choice of making Loki uh, sort of uh, fluid in the series wasn't that hard because I gotta be honest, it's not a big deal she said it is what it is when it comes to this character we're not going to do it because it's politically correct or incorrect uh don't forget we follow our comics we follow them quite to the t and this is who he was in the comics um so a lot of really good comment about you know we we know that there's a uh, a gay character in eternals anyone who is pulling out their young avengers bingo card knows that there are a lot of young avengers who fall all over the lgbtq plus spectrum so we were all talking about this beforehand. On the one hand, you got Steven Dorff. Clearly <laughs> not a fan of the Marvel movies. Clearly angry about a lot of things in his life. And on the other hand, you have these movies that a lot of people say are just big budget roller coasters. They don't take them seriously, but are kind of doing more for queer representation than a lot of other movie, uh, movie franchises or IP are doing. Um, so gentlemen, where do you fall on this? How do you feel about Steven Dorff? How do you feel about more queer representation in the Marvel movies? First of all, I love more queer representation. I'm all about it. I, I just learned a new term called demisexual, which I had never heard about before. So you look, I'm catching up. I'm trying to catch up as much as it means, possible. It means you're only attracted to Demi more. No, it doesn't really. Oh, well, I've been a demisexual for years. <laughs> uh, but, um, but no, I love it. I think it's great. And, you know, define yourself as you define yourself. Don't worry about people who are too lazy to make the effort to understand you. Fuck them. I, I'm a big fan of like what, whatever. Just let me just give me time to catch up. Just give me time to figure out what it means and blah, blah, blah. Give me some space. And I had no idea what demisexual was, but I was like, okay, all right. I understand this. So I'm a fan of this opening the doors to more and more acceptance, more and more uh, uh, progressiveness in that approach. That's a smart move. I think this reminded me of all that of uh, was it? No, it was Chicago when he's when the, I think it's um, uh, what's his face? Benny. Uh, ta, uh, what's his face? Benny. Who plays Benny and rent? What's his name? Tay Diggs. Tay, Tay Diggs going like, here's the tap dance. Blah, blah, blah. This is a great response. Uh, it's not going to be politically correct, but it's not. It could be. You know, it's a perfect response to appeal to both sides. And I think it's an honest response that they're not going to shove it in your face, but it's going to show up and it's going to be here. We're just going to do it at our pace. And she said, we're not going to get it right the first or second, maybe even the third time. And I think after the Lin-Manuel Miranda situation, I think a lot of people are more aware of saying, look, we might not get it right off the bat, but our intentions are good. So I think that's a, a thousand percent a positive overall. But the Stephen Dorff stuff, I, I, look, I love Stephen Dorff as an actor. I really do. I thought he was great in True Detective in the most recent season. He's damn good in Deputy. Made me watch that show way more than I should have. And uh, I just like him as a character. I loved him in that so Sofia Coppola film somewhere. I think it was the name of that one. He's really good as an actor. 
But dude, some of the choices you've made are not great films and are terrible straight to DVD or straight to streaming films. And you can't talk from that place. Like Scorsese's a separate animal. You're Steven Dorff. And so to me, I'm like, just do your work. Just be happy. And why are you saying this shit? Unless this is a crafty effing way for him to try to get into these movies or we find out that he's auditioned for these movies and not been allowed to be into these movies, then I think that's that's I, what I'm wondering. Yeah. I don't I don't vote that Steven Dorff is the craftiest of folk. And if he is, this was a bad plan. Um, I do think that maybe he's <laughs> I do was a think, bad idea. Yeah, go ahead. I do think that maybe he's mad about some things that he's working through. I, I like I, I you know, like I said, I was just in Cape Cod with a lot of people who are industry people when all this came out, and there was a lot of talk about using your inside voice. Uh, yeah. You you wanna you wanna talk about how shitty you think the Marvel movies are? Do it at home. Yeah. Don't do it to a reporter. Like, what are you thinking? Like, this is the world's stupidest thing to say. It's like, What's the it, and it's like, it, it's like, there's no, yeah, there, what's the end game to this? Like, look, if you're not the biggest fan of giant franchise IP, that's fine. Like, say, oh, that's not really what I'm interested in. I'm interested in pursuing these types of roles. Uh, you know, we talk about this all the time. Like, look, I give Zack Snyder movies shit. You guys give stuff that I like shit. Like, we all have opinions. We all have stuff. But you don't have to come out swinging and say you're embarrassed for Scarlett Johansson. I don't yeah. think Scarlett Johansson's feeling too shitty about what she's done. Uh, you know, like, come on. Also, like, what are you also, doing? what's your relationship with Scarlett Johansson that you would be embarrassed for her? That's, a- that's actually saying I'm on her level to be embarrassed for her. Like, what, what is wrong with you? You know, you're nowhere near Scarlett Johansson's level. Uh, Shannon, you haven't piped in on this, please. I mean, I imagine Stephen Dorff is an interviewer's dream. I like because that. <laughs> that guy, yeah. he is going to say whatever comes into his head. And because he's <laughs> real and he's, you know, living, living in the mountains in Tennessee. I mean, the guy is, he's an incredibly talented guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you would think someone who has worked in the industry this long, who who has been a part of some really good films and some a part of some films that have not been so good mm-hmm. that the last thing you want to do is kind of take a dump on someone else's work. And it's like, that's, that's just not, that's not good karma. Like that's just kind of a bad thing to do. Now, if again, as Vogel said, if this is not your, this is not your taste, that's fine. Yeah. But you don't have to actively go out and, and kind of bash stuff. I mean, I don't think that's what he set out to do. I think he used black widow as an example, because that's the thing that's being promoted the most right now. And that right. was the quickest thing for him to grab onto. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's talking about his film embattled in that article where he Mm -hmm. plays an MMA fighter and you talk, he talks about some of the links he had to go to for his performance. And it's like, yeah, you don't sound like the coolest guy on set. I mean, at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, you know, this is a, this, this is a profession. This is a, this is a field that there is a lot of money on the table, Yeah, but we ain't curing cancer. I mean, we're, you know, the film industry well, makes movies and, and TV shows. And, and uh, I think I to, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Um, basically, I just, yeah, I just don't, I just don't like that going out and just actively bashing someone's work. It's okay to not, to not like some, to not like something, but to go out, actively seek it out to me is not like, that's not the coolest thing to do. Um, well, to the representation angle. Look, I, I think Victoria, Victoria Alonzo, who said it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I mean kudos to her for her candor. Is like, yep. look, we are not going to get this right right away. It's it's, but we are going to try. I mean, I think if you could, you know, they could wind back the clock to Avengers Endgame. 
um, whoever, I think it was one of the Russo brothers who, who had said is like, hey, we introduced our first gay character. Like they mm -hmm. probably not do that because well, you, you, you set up some expectations and don't really... <laughs> Mm. Don't I think really if you could, to them. I think if you could rewind the clock even further back to Doctor Strange and Tilda Swinton, they probably would have made some different choices too. That's so fair. I think which, that which, which they're very, know, which Kevin, they are very open, and Kevin Feige's yeah. very yes. clear about. Yeah. yeah, he's he's been very clear about, it and so is Tilda Swinton. Like, yep, we we got it wrong. <laughs> um, well, and I, and so I mean, kudos yeah. for the candor. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we we've heard that there there is. I I believe it's Brian Tyree Henry's character mm -hmm. who is supposed to be uh, is supposed to be gay. And Eternals, and look, this is our world now. Yeah, yeah. And, and and now it's, it's always been. It's always well, been our world. It's always been our world, but it's our world now where people are very are very um, upfront about this. Yes, and finally. I think the sooner people get used to this, and like it, sh it shouldn't be a thing. It's it, right. you know, it shouldn't be a big deal. It's just this is this is this is just another another facet of this world that we live in. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that they are doing their best uh is is great and hopefully we get to the point where it doesn't have to be a press announcement every time you're gonna have a gay character in something that it just is yeah well i think to your point i mean look you are right we are not curing cancer but i think that there there is a power in the stories that we tell and there's a power in our industry and i think that uh you know the whole there, there's a lot of people swinging at the 300 pound gorilla that is the Marvel yeah. movies because they make all the money, but like Marvel movies aren't preventing us from having smaller movies. Right. Uh, the big, the big IP franchises aren't getting rid of all the other storytelling that's out there. Now do, do they take up a bigger part of the space than they did before between Marvel and Star Wars and DC and everything else? Sure they do. But I think when you use those powers for good, when you're using that giant platform that you have, mm -hmm to further representation, to further telling different stories, to further that representation, not only on screen, but behind the screen as well, uh, you are opening more doors. And as and we've talked about this a ton of times, but you give Taika Waititi a giant platform and then he gets to go make his Jojo Rabbits. You know, you give these characters, you give these directors, you give these writers, you give these talented people these huge platforms and then they get to go tell their own stories. Like, there's an ecosystem here. And, you know, Marvel's not running around swinging down at small films. Right. You don't have Kathleen Kennedy and Kevin Feige going, can't wait till we get rid of all these indie films. Those motherfuckers, ah, bleh. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a very one-sided battle, but yeah, whenever anybody kind of comes out at these things and comes swinging, I'm like, look, we're going to continue to tell all kinds of great stories across the board. And right now, these are some of the biggest stories. And when these big IP franchises and the people behind them are using those stories to really kind of spread the wealth around, uh, I hope they continue to do it. They can do more. There's definitely more to be done. They haven't solved it yet, but I think that we're going down a good path and I'm excited that that's the way we're going. Yeah, and I, and I think Dorf's comments kind of fly in the face of a lot of these actors who have chosen to be a part of this universe to bring their independent credit, to bring their smaller, uh, you know, what Stephen Dorf, the more idealistic approach to acting. Florence Pugh, I'll, I'll take her resume toe-to-toe -to -toe with anything Dorf's ever done. And when you look at her smaller films, Tessa Thompson, some of her smaller films, Cumberbatch, there are so many great actors throughout the MCU now that you could be like, look at all these incredible films that they've done. Out, Tom Holland outside of the MCU and still continue doing outside of the MCU. So just being in the MCU is not an embarrassment or something to be ashamed of. 
at all. This is a completely wrong approach to look at this thing. And you're right. They're not taking anything. If anything, they're saving cinema. The fact that Fast and Furious came out and is making so much money, it shows the analysts, shows the studios, yes, we can start putting our movies back in theaters again. These directors who complained about, you know, oh, people are watching our shit at home. It's not really meant to be watched at home. Well, now your independent movie, your small little film that stars Stephen Dorff, now it's going to get an actual release in cinemas because Fast and Furious or A Quiet Place Part 2, which I argue is a little bit of a bigger horror film, those films are blowing up at the box office and making it okay for people to go back. So I just don't understand biting a hand that feeds you. I, right. I get it because it's, like you said, it's a 300-pound gorilla. Happens in every arena, right? People go for whoever. People go for the Patriots in the NFL. They go for the Yankees. They go for Duke. They go for whatever field you're in. They go for Amazon. They go for all these. Is there valid criticism? Sure. But in sure. the end, they always go for the big dog in the room because it's the big dog that is making all, most of the money. So. Right. Well, I mean, like as Vogel said with the, the Taika Waititi example, you know, a, an actor or director being in one of these huge franchise movies enables smaller movies to get yes. made. Yes. Their smaller and, movies to get made. Yes. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Zojo Rabbit, that's not a huge budget, ladies and gentlemen, but he got the cachet to make that. I mean, don't tell me he walked in after Hunt of the Wilder People and was like, hey, you know what I'd like to make? A comedy about Hitler, and I'll play Hitler with a little boy. No fucking way they would have approved that, but seeing the cachet from Thor Ragnarok, okay, we'll make it happen. Let's see what we can do here. So, All right, let's get out of this topic, and uh, Stephen Dorff, we wish you the best. Hopefully you figure this out <laughs> and get into a Marvel movie some point down the road, because you were good we, at playing. We hope you. We hope you no longer feel embattled. Oh. And by the way, David McKenna, the writer of Embattled, has, was a guest on The Cinephile, so no knock on that film. No knock on that film. Uh, all right, let's get out of this subject matter. Let's take a quick break and then jump into our main topic here, our tribute uh, to Richard Donner, who passed away just a few days ago at 91. We'll be right back after this. You're not going to do the Superman know, I, theme? You're not even going to do the I was going to, but we did it a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't oh, oh, want, I didn't want to get dinged repeating for repeating yourself on I was the man who died? That. Oh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> the one time I repeated myself, I got dinged, so this is really your fault. You're going to have to get used wow. to being on YouTube, man. This is, this is wow. They ding you for anything they want to ding you for. All right, let's uh, let's uh, talk about this uh, gentleman, uh, Richard Donner. As we mentioned here a few times here, he uh, passed away a couple of days ago. As we're recording this on July 5th uh, in L.A. He was 91 years old. This was announced through uh, a spokesman of uh, him, of uh, his uh, family. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, he's known for so many films, Superman, The Goon. Uh, you look at the horror film The Omen, so many of these incredible films that Lethal he was Weapon. a part of and Lethal Weapon, so many great films. We're going to talk about all of that as we get into our tribute. So, uh, guys, you you hear the word, and I even liked his last film, 16 Blocks with Bruce Willis and Mo's Def. You hear the, the name Richard Donner, and Michael, I'll go to you first as the Peter Pan of the three of us. What is your... What is your, like, um, thoughts when you hear the name Richard Donner? It's really split down the middle for me. It was really tough. Okay. I mean, obviously, as a huge Superman fan who loves the Donner Superman, that's always, like, first and foremost when you hear his name. But Goonies is a very, very close second because I don't mm -hmm. know that any movie defined my childhood as much as the Goonies did. 
and uh, and so like the, that one too. I mean, look, I love Lethal Weapon. Uh, you know, there's a ton of stuff that he was a producer on. Like, there, there's a ton mm-hmm. of things, but like, really, when you take those three, when you take the fact that he did the original Superman, that he sort of redefined the buddy cop genre with Lethal Weapon, yeah. and then he created Goonies, which is still a movie that comes up today when you talk about like, how do you capture that magic of the Goonies? And the fact that those three movies all came from the same director, um, you know, I was reading a lot. I was reading, obviously, like everybody, I was reading a lot of the articles and the tributes, and. One of the things that really struck me as the most impressive uh, is is we all talk, look, when we, and we do it on here, we talk about Man of Steel versus Donner Superman and Kalinowski yeah. comes on and he starts yelling at everybody and flips a table and it's a big, lovely discussion. But, uh, <laughs> but um, we usually, I think that because we're looking at it through the eyes of history, we all look at Donner Superman as very cheesy and compared mm. to... Avengers Endgame and mm. a lot of and and Wonder Woman and Patty Jenkins one like it is you know I mean it was it was a different time but when you read all these articles and what Donner brought to the table when he came on to Superman is he wanted to make it as grounded and real as possible and yeah. he went out of his way to take the giant 500 page script that they were going to make that was going to ruin like he really fought for uh for the movie one of the things I didn't know that I read is that he kind of wrote up on the production offices the word verisimilitude and said we mm. want every like we want this to feel as real as possible and I think we overlook that a lot that he actually for his time made a grounded movie that should have been cheesy and silly and kind of corny and for that audience at that time blew them away um you know it kind of was the dark night of its day in a very different way um and then you know with goonies it's just great because steven spielberg brought him on saying i feel like you're a big kid like me but he had never dealt with a bunch of kid actors and kind of really let them run wild and when you talk (laughs) about goonies one of the things that people talk about the most uh is how natural the acting of the kids is. That he really brought a level, again, of realism to what should have been a really kind of silly kids movie, but I think the reason it sort of stands up longer and long, uh, in the, st- stands the test of time longer than others is the fact that he kind of brought, uh, he let them be themselves. And similarly with Lethal Weapon, he took the buddy cop genre and kind of put his own political leanings in there and kind of created a deeper story with some more troubled kids. Like, he really took the 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 surface level of this is what buddy cops are and really put it in a lot more realism with an interracial buddy cop team that kind of became the quintessential, like you do any buddy cop thing right now, you're like, well, well, who's the Riggs, who's the Murtaugh? Like that's what it is. And so when you look at like the superhero genre, the kids kind of fantasy genre and the cop genre, and you look at the way he brought a level of realism and groundedness and let these actors really do their thing, like, it, it's an impressive career. Like it, it, his career really has has inspired so many and defined so much of what we take for granted in cinema. Yeah, and just about everybody, Shannon, can defend a number of movies on the Richard Donner pile. You know, it's not like really Scott where he has like three or four clunkers and then one great one that reminds you how great he is. You start with, I mean, you could start all the way back to 1968, his first film, Assault and Pepper. That's Sammy Davis Jr. and Peter Lawford. That's how far back Richard Donner goes. But then you go into The Omen, Superman 1 and 2. The Toy, eh, it's a little troublesome nowadays, but Lady Hawk people love. 
Goonies, people of Lethal Weapon, obviously Scrooged is a Christmas classic. Lethal Weapon 2, people, some people argue Lethal Weapon 2 is better than Lethal Weapon 1. Radio Flyer, which is a, a really forgotten coming-of-age film. Lethal Weapon 3, Maverick, Assassins, uh, Conspiracy Theory, though, that was a good one. Lethal Weapon 4, nice goodbye. Timeline, 16 blocks I like. So there's not really a big clunker on his list of movies that he's done. So it's incredible to to hop multiple genres and be as successful and as memorable as he's been, Shin. Well, and think, like, he he started directing television in the 60s. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you think, like, directing directing anything, that's, that's a hard job. Those are hard jobs to get. Mm -hmm. And when you look at his IMDb, you look at the amount of television he did and that he was able to make that leap to feature film, like that is no, that's no small feat. I mean, he yeah. directed Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, the yeah. Twilight Zone episode with William Shatner and yeah. the Gremlin. I mean, he directed uh, episodes of the first season of Gilligan's Islands. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the amount of projects that, that Richard Donner has touched in some way, I mean, it's just too many to count. And, you know, when you think of like the huge directors of the 80s, mm -hmm. the, you know, the people that were, you know, huge box office or big awards you think the spielbergs you think the scorsese's i mean donner's name doesn't come up a lot and mm -hmm. it's a shame because again he is the guy that he he made the first really the first superhero movie with yeah. with superman i mean and as you guys were talking about lethal weapon with scrooge i mean i remember the goonies was the first time i went to a theater and had no idea what the movie was because you know back back in the 80s kids um there you know there was no internet like you heard about a movie through newspaper ads and through television commercials yeah and so i, I called shannon on my on my can phone we had a big string <laughs> that went from my house to his house from gainesville to orlando all the way down he's still using that can phone now for his internet anyway go ahead shannon keep <laughs> There it is. There it is. But just sort of this remarkable, this really remarkable career that he's had. I mean, yeah. the amount of magic that he put out into 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 the you know the cinematic universe. It's it's just really impressive. And you know, sixteen blocks. I believe that was his last movie. It was. That was two thousand sixteen. You figure he would yeah, have been 16, yeah. 80, 86 right. when he directed that, and like really. Interesting performance, really good performance no, no, from Bruce Willis blocks, in that movie. 2006, 2006. Oh my God! Okay, yeah, so he was so he was 76. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When he made but that. still, 76 yeah. years old to be directing. That's yeah. you know, and yeah. remember, I mean, I don't know, like Richard Donner. In another world, Christopher Reeve isn't Superman. Yeah, you know, right, right. <laughs> I mean, Richard well, Donner is responsible for a lot of that. And look, I, I'm no fan of Goonies, but but it's just my own personal thing, and maybe I came to it late in life. But he speaks about it with such reverence and such glow. And he said, I never wanted to have kids. I, I'm not interested in kids. Those kids are my kids. So that's that kind of reverence he had for the things he was making. And certainly he was a, he had a very strong connection to his to his childhood, to his inner child, because when Radio Flyer, that uh, film he directed in 92, wasn't received well by some of the critics, apparently he went into a deep depression about it afterwards. Because he has it's he's he's I guess maybe he took it as they were rejecting my childhood. They were rejecting my point of view about my childhood and invalidating what I had experienced 
Uh, and it was his producer, his wife, sorry, Lauren Schuler Donner, who's a producer with him, who dragged him out of the depression and moved him forward in his life. So you just never know. These great artists always have these moments or have these periods where they're questioning themselves. I mean, Akira Kurosawa almost uh, killed himself after he'd succeeded and achieved so much success because he hadn't done stuff in a while or wasn't no longer the name, you know? And so these things happen and you see Richard Donner come out of that and still be able to keep going. It, it speaks and, and makes some great work afterwards. It just yeah. speaks volumes to the kind of uh, uh, artist he was overall. Yeah. There's a great story after he made Goonies. I think they talked about it on that, the ja Josh Gad, the reunited apart, mm. how, you know, for that shoot, you know, it is Richard Donner and these six seven children yeah. for, for months. And by the end, he was like, oh my God, this was, I, I got to get away. And he, he went to Hawaii and Steven Spielberg bought tickets for his those kids to go to Hawaii <laughs> and be waiting for him at the house he had rented. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> I mean, and for years they talked about doing Lethal Weapon 5. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I think there was probably there, there was years of Lethal Weapon Five. There were years about the next chapter in the Goonies, whether it was going to be a straight up sequel, whether it was going to be a television series, whether it was going to be. I think there's a there's, there there was work on a Goonies musical at one point. I mean, the amount of stuff again that he put out there, it, it's it's really really incredible. Yeah, and I think Feige was an intern for him at his production company early on, and so he he wrote a tribute to him on social media as well. So, I mean, the man touched so many people's, the tributes that have poured out that I've seen from my friends or from people in my sphere out. And then of course, famous people, actors, celebrities, what have you. It's incredible to see how much of a reach this man had in people's lives uh, and how him bringing certain people into his production company has led to the boon of the comic book superhero yeah. genre now, uh, uh, Mikey as well. And yeah, I mean, Superman, I don't care what anybody says. That is a goddamn classic. 1978 classic. I still go back and watch certain scenes from that movie because it makes me believe what is possible, right? Versus Snyder, which is pretty much like, this is actually how it is sometimes. This uh, Donner's is what we aspire to, what we hope to. This old version of Americana, the possibilities here. And the screwball comedy between Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve. People forget that. That's old school, his girl Friday to have and have not uh, Philadelphia story, screwball comedy. And that is, it takes a master to understand that that's the key into the Superman story on screen. So, so much of this, uh, of the universe works so well for him. And you talk about Lethal Weapon, not just an interracial buddy cop, a guy dealing with suicide in the 80s like that is so groundbreaking the way martin riggs is dealing with suicide throughout that movie and the reasons for why and at the end not giving up on it not putting it away not kind of shoving it aside he gives murtaugh the bullet that he was going to use to kill himself as a christmas gift at the end of the movie saying he's ready to embrace his life again that's powerful stuff in 1980 what six or seven when lethal weapon came out so it's incredible what he was doing. oh also his social political messages throughout his yeah. movies and lethal weapon 2 the tuna stuff that was a big deal he put stickers in his movies uh, to show uh, certain things to people as well so it just it's it's incredible uh, the kind of filmmaker that he was and how beloved he is uh, as he passes at 91 years old. Anyone else? Michael Shannon? No. <laughs> no, I mean, you said, uh, no, I just, it's like, yeah, I mean, we're just, I mean, we're just kind of like rehashing what we said, but I just really, mm -hmm. I'm really taken with 
what Shannon made a really good point that when we talk about like the 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 directors uh, and the filmmakers that really yeah. like inspire us, and we talk about the Scorseses and the Spielbergs and you know uh, in modern day, you know the Jenkins or the Waititi's or the James Guns, and and we talk about all these people, but Donner doesn't get mentioned a lot, and it is a shame yeah. because you do look at what he did and he really did define what most of we think what what we think of as the movies that we love and the types of movies that we love and he inspired so many people that went and made more of the movies that we love that yep. he really did have such a uh, a profound effect on so much of the things that we talk about here on the geek buddies yeah absolutely absolutely um okay any final words shannon from your side of the fence well no i was gonna i was gonna throw something out favorite yeah, donner movie moment Ooh. Um. Damn. Can I? Can I give like one from? Can I give one from each of the? I'm gonna give you a Superman, a Lethal Weapon, and a Goonies. I like okay, I like this. <laughs> uh, Lethal Weapon two. Uh, Danny Glover on the toilet. <laughs> Oh my God! The bomb scene. Just yes, the bomb. The entire, the entire. There's a bomb. I'm sitting on the toilet. The entire bomb squad. Like yes. the 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 intensity of someone's killing the cops combined with you're my best friend and I'm gonna let you be here while I'm sitting naked on the toilet. Like yes. is just a brilliant, just brilliant all on its own. Um, Goonies. The fact that. He and Spielberg decided not to show the kids the pirate ship set, mm. so that when they so that when they came off out of the waterfall and landed, uh, what you see on screen when they turn around and see that pirate ship is really them seeing it for the first time. Wow, that's smart. That's um, smart. Which is a, which is a great moment, and okay. then uh, with Superman, there's there's a lot there's a lot to choose from, but. Uh, it's got to be like, you've got me, who's got you? Like that Lois Lane Superman mm-hmm. moment. Like, you know, you've got me, who's got you? Like that first moment that he really comes in and saves her. Everything about, like, look, there's a lot to be cheesy about in a Superman movie. Like the the Lex Luthor, Gene Hackman stuff. Uh, the turning back time. Like there's stuff that in our modern eyes looks cheesy. But like John said, anything that is the Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, pick any of those scenes and it's gold. Yeah. Um. Uh, for me, with Superman, it's it's when uh, young Clark Kent is about to leave. Basically, his two sons moment, where he's looking out after his father has died, and he's knowing he's going to have to go to the big city. He's got to face the world. He's got to be out there in the world. It's such a great moment. Yes, Christopher and Margot Kidder are fantastic, but that actor who plays the young Clark Kent is so great. And his look when he's looking out, I just love it. It's that moment has always just kind of moved me because I, you know, I'm from a small town, Regina dreaming of Los Angeles. It's that connective tissue is there for me when I was a young kid with Scrooge. It's Bill Murray's last speech when he's talking to tiny Tim and he's crying. Like that's the greatest (laughs) acting you'll ever see from Bill Murray because that's no longer acting. That's him channeling something really deep inside of himself and using the words in the script to bring that out. And you saw tears. I mean, that was some genuinely emotional acting that gave us a preview 
of the Bill Murray we were going to get like 10 years later when we went on the run of those adult films starting with Lost in Translation. Oh, sorry, more mature films like Lost in Translation. And with Lethal Weapon, I think I have to default to when he kills that dude who's electrifying him when he's hanging from the chains in the water. That rage! I know that rage! And it's beautiful! <laughs> and it's golden! And when I was a kid, and when I was a teen, watching that rage, I'm like, I, I know that rage! And I love that moment <laughs> to see it on screen and hear the primal yell of Mel Gibson in that moment or when he slams his shoulder back into his uh, uh, socket. The primal yell of Martin Riggs is something that I'll always cherish Richard Donner for giving me as a kid uh, who had clearly had a lot of pain inside that he had to get out. So, that's <laughs> so lethal we like i know lethal weapon 3 is not like the favorite of the franchise <laughs> but that that is where i came to those movies was because the building that blows up at the beginning is in orlando like that oh. was that was a big thing is orlando this building was going to be demolished they needed building to fall down and they're like hey great and so you know mel gibson and danny glover were there and you know you watch that movie as a kid <laughs> in Orlando in the 80s just to see like hey, I've driven past there but then the moment that because at that point the Riggs Murtaugh relationship had been established yeah. but for me it's brand new and as the people are kind of giving their fellow officers are giving them grief <laughs> and Riggs like hey we saved the cat I mean, <laughs> just such a just such a funny moment Superman 2 when Clark finally comes clean about being oh, yeah. Superman and you see that change in his posture I mean it really gives um gives support to the idea that he could put a pair of glasses on and Lois wouldn't realize he was Superman. Mm -hmm. And then my favorite sequence of all time in any Richard Donner movie is the opening credits to the Goonies. I mean that that music, the introduction of each of those characters, they did so much um uh, uh expository work <laughs> um in 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 a matter of moments and it was like that was where the idea to like write to, to come up with stories, it, it all kind of sprang from the Goonies. And that's why that sequence with that incredible score. I mean, that will hold a special place in my heart forever. Yeah. Well, well, I'm not going to say anything negative about that. Uh, so we will. <laughs> uh, and just a quick note, we are negotiating between the geek buddies and the cinephiles to have the next cinephiles live where we talk about the Goonies. Uh, and so it's going to be the four of us with my co-host Steve Morris, obviously, and our friend Steve Morris, uh, and the three of us talking about uh, the uh, the Goonies uh, as in honor of Richard Donner. And hopefully we'll, we'll get that schedule by the end of July. July 25th is what we're looking at. So look out for that announcement. John's uh, going to be fighting a war on three friends. <laughs> all right. Not my first time. Uh, all right. Thank you all so much uh, uh, for joining us uh, uh, here on this episode of the Geek Buys. We appreciate it madly. And uh, hopefully we've uh, maybe brought up some moments from each of the Donner films you hadn't thought about. And we gave him a fantastic tribute uh, that, you know, kind of touched some of you as well. Shannon, what do we have to tell him? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at Geek underscore Buddies, on Instagram at The underscore Geek underscore Buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung, on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow the recently uh, uh, arrived back in Los Angeles, Michael Vogel, it is at MK2. And if you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at The Roca Says. Mikey? 
Well, and in addition to all of that following, if you would like to help us keep doing what we are doing, here are some things that you can do. Uh, smash the like button below, subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page, leave us some comments, let us know what your favorite Richard Donner moments are, what are your favorite Richard Donner movies, uh, and if you are listening to us on Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere where podcasts are available, leave us some stars, leave us some comments, it helps us go up with the rankings, and as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, repost it on all of your social media sites, Tell everybody that if they are geeky and they need buddies, this is the place to go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Uh, the only thing I'll add is please make sure you follow me on Twitch now. I am an affiliate, so I'll be starting to do some watch-alongs there as well through Amazon Prime. So the Outlaw Nation on Twitch. Follow me there. A lot of fun overall. Is, is, is Mikey not happy about it? <laughs> well, no. He he was he was making a big to-do, and then his oh. internet froze oh, of course, of course. in the best <laughs> Our yeah. audience will really enjoy it. <laughs> just wait till I do the TikTok videos. <laughs> no, I'm sure. Anyway, all right. Thank you all so much for joining. We'll talk to you next time on another episode of... Oh, wait. Don't forget, Loki review coming as well. Spoiler review coming out. Me, Vogel, uh, 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 MF5, and Laura Kelly sitting in for our brother Shannon McClellan who can't make the review this week. We'll be doing that. And, of course, next week, our Bad Batch review is coming out as well for the last two episodes. All right, that's it. Thank you all so much. Take care of yourselves. Be well. And we'll talk to you next time on another brand-new episode of The Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.